Hello and welcome to Who Knew in the Moment, the podcast. I'm your host, Phil Friedrich. Today, I am honored to have Chris Van Vliet. Chris is going to have a bunch of good wisdom that he shares with us in regards to being dedicated. Once you find what you're passionate about to stop for nothing on your pursuit of your goals and also things that he's had to overcome, obstacles, hurdles, and personal setbacks to get to where he wanted to go. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment, the podcast. Today, I'm honored to have Chris Van Vliet with us. Uh, Chris has a phenomenal story and he you can kind of see it behind him. He's got a few accolades. So if you're watching this, you see it if you're hearing it. Uh, so a few of his accolades, uh, four-time Emmy winner, uh, host of the Insight podcast, and something that was fascinating to me, and I think uh, we're going to get a lot of good nuggets like this today from Chris, is that each day he starts by going through the three things that he's thankful for. And each night before he ends his night or ends his day, he reminisces over the day and finds three things to be thankful for. So uh, once again, I think that uh, alone should speak to the type of conversation we're having today. So Chris, thanks for being on. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Phil. It's an honor. Absolutely. So Chris is a uh, Canadian individual. So grew up in Canada and uh, growing up, you had a friend or a family friend whose house you'd go to a cottage and one day. You got the opportunity to fish. And guys, I know I just talked about Emmys, but I promise this is relevant at a future date. <laughs> yeah, and it's so we had a we had a neighbor and we went to their cottage. And this is a big thing when you live in Ontario. You yeah. really take advantage of the summer from like May to Labor Day. <laughs> you're taking advantage of that warm weather that you have because it gets pretty cold. As you know, being from Wisconsin, it gets pretty cold in the winter. Yes. So yeah, we would go up to the cottage. It was on Sturgeon Lake, about an hour and a half from where I grew up. And yeah. All the other kids were a little bit older than me. So I didn't really have anybody to hang out with. And I'm four years old. My parents stick me out on a dock with a fishing rod and a life jacket on. And I caught my first fish and I was hooked. And when I'm passionate about things, I dive all the way in and fishing became something that really drove my life at that point. And even still to this point now, fished in a lot of bass tournaments growing up, fished in my first bass tournament when I was 14. Yeah. I loved fishing so much my high school backed onto a creek and the salmon would run up the creek in the fall to spawn and the steelhead yes. in the spring, which are like rainbow trout. And I would bring a fishing rod <laughs> to my high school. I have fishing rod in my locker so I could fish during lunchtime. So yeah, fishing has been a, a huge, huge part of my life. Yes, absolutely. So talk a little bit about that. So we're four and we, you know, get our first fish and then into high school, it becomes, yeah, this uh, guilty hobby, right? Uh, over, you know, our lunch hour, but was that something that you ever, uh, I guess, connected with people on, or was that more of just a personal thing that you could get away and be able to do, uh, as kind of like solitary time? Like I didn't just like fishing, like as a hobby, like this was yeah. an obsession. Yeah. So when I met other people who were into it at the level that I was into it, like mm. you connected immediately. Yeah. Like, this is, it's like the scene from Step Brothers where it's like, <laughs> did we just become best friends? Yep. <laughs> I joined a bass fishing club when I was 16, which is basically just a bunch of people who like bass fishing all get together once a month, fish different tournaments. And that was kind of like me being thrown to the wolves of like, you think you're good at fishing. Well, now you're going to learn from people who are really good. So yeah. the people that were my fishing friends, my fishing buddies, like they were like, felt like blood relatives because I spent so much time with them. You're not just fishing for an hour or two. Right. 
day. You're waking up at like five in the morning, driving to a lake, fishing all day till three or four. So you become very, very close to those people. Yes. Now, of all the different fishing excursions and experiences you've had, what is either the, I guess, most fascinating like actual fishing story or maybe the most beautiful like scenic spot that you've gotten to be able to go fishing in? Oh my gosh, there's so many. But I will say as someone who was fishing a lot of tournaments growing up, yeah. the first time I fished one in the United States, being from Canada, was a huge deal because- yeah. There was just so many more opportunities in the U.S. So I fished my first tournament in the U.S. at Lake Champlain, Plattsburgh, New York. So it's like upper state New York. It's yeah. a beautiful lake because it's part partly in New York. It's partly in Canada. And it's also partly in Vermont. So you've got mountains as you're fishing. Wow. It's one of the best bass fisheries in the world. And because this was an American tournament and a BASS tournament, which is like a bigger like they're they're the it's, they're like the nfl of fishing got it yeah without getting too technical without getting too <laughs> into the weeds here yeah but some of my fishing idols were in this tournament so to be able to fish not really against because i was in the amateur category but mm -hmm. to be able to be in the same tournament as like some of the biggest names in fishing that was probably it for me where i went oh my god i love fishing and now this makes me love it even more that is awesome that is awesome now one of your friends in high school that you enjoyed fishing with, you'd also talk to on Mondays and he had a passion for a different type of athletic endeavor that would be wrestling. Yeah, Phil, you've done your research. So thank you so much for this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Vince, Vince Reynolds is his name. And he was my very best friend growing up, but he lived like one city away. So like 20 minutes away. But when you don't have a driver's license that, you know, it might as well be 20 hours away. Right. And we did this crazy thing in the late nineties called talking <laughs> on the phone wild, right? So, Wait, what, what is that? And we would talk about, like, we talked about fishing at like, like a disgusting length. We talked about, like, we just talked about it all the time, but on Monday nights, our calls abruptly had to come to an end because <laughs> at nine o'clock Monday night raw came on and he was a huge wrestling fan. Yeah. And I just, I wasn't a huge wrestling fan at the time. I was aware of it. I had right. seen it before. And I was on the high school wrestling team, but I just wasn't a big pro wrestling fan at the time. Yeah. So one Monday I said, all right, Vince, I'll stay on the phone with you so we can finish this conversation. <laughs> I'll put it on and I'll watch it with you and we can kind of talk about it. Yeah. And I was, I was so into it. Like immediately I was like, oh my God, like it's larger than life characters. So yeah. charismatic, just oozing out of them. And I just felt like that was my world. And that really shaped a lot of my formidable years being a wrestling fan because these were guys, no matter if they were big or small or women, no matter how big they were, no matter what they looked like, they all had this insane amount of confidence and charisma. Yeah. And these were, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old. These were my very formidable years. And I borrowed a lot of that confidence from wrestling and brought it into my own life. Yes. So as you're getting into wrestling, uh, you know, there's, so many characters or so many, you know, stories to follow. Was there any one or two? I know you had mentioned Triple H ends up being a, a fan favorite of yours, but anyone else that like, you know, you really kind of latched onto or maybe, you know, found some commonalities with that became a hero, if you will. Well, this is 1998, 99, like at the peak of the Attitude Era when yeah. the best, like there were the biggest names in wrestling were all together on one show. Yeah. yeah Triple H was someone who definitely inspired me a lot of <laughs> I was in a backyard wrestling federation 
And I was heavily, heavily inspired by Triple H. Like I taped one hand with the tape and then just the left wrist, exactly what he did. I had a poster on my bedroom wall. Of I love H, it. Which I'm sure my fellow 16 year old friends are like, What's going- why do you have this man wearing like basically underwear on your wall here? I'm like, yeah, it's Triple H, he's the best. But The Rock really spoke to me. Yeah, and the rock that existed in 1999 is pretty different from Dwayne Johnson, who exists now in 2021. Yes. But he was so charismatic, both in the ring and outside of the ring. And I, I was just so drawn to him. Yeah. And super incredibly fortunate that many years later, I've, I've been able to interview him a handful of times. Oh, and, yeah. Know, I've interviewed him nine times. Not that I'm counting. Not that was count. <laughs> But he's everything you want him to be in terms of someone that you look up to. And they always say that you shouldn't meet your heroes. But if your hero happens to be Dwayne Johnson, I, I recommend you meet him. <laughs> I love it. Now, once again, so we're fishing. Uh, we're in a backyard wrestling federation. <laughs> and then you also talked about in school, um, you got the chance to take this broadcasting class. And that was something a th- a third thing that you really latched onto and just talk a little bit about, you know, getting that experience at a high school age and how it started to maybe pique some interest for you. You're definitely going to see a theme here that like yeah. I'm a really passionate person <laughs> and I go all the way in on whatever it is that I'm passionate about. Yeah. So in high school, we had a communication studies class and yeah. Phil, if this class was called broadcasting or if this class was called TV or radio, I would have immediately been interested, but communication studies, I didn't really know what that meant. Yeah. And someone told me, did you know they make a TV show in that communication studies class? I said, what? They make a TV show in, in our high school? They do that? So as soon as I found out about that, I was all in on it. And we learned yeah. about the history of television, the history of radio, but we also got, we had our own little like newsroom and you cycled around in the production studio from being the camera operator to being the on-air talent, to being the VTR operator, audio guy, Chirons, all of these different things. So you got a taste of like how an actual TV station functioned, yeah. but we were doing it on like a much smaller scale in our high school. And I always loved performing. I, I was in a lot of different plays in high school. I was on the, um, I did a rookie drama, which was in ninth grade. We all like put on a play. I was the lead in a play in my church growing up. So I was all about like doing these performances. And I realized yeah. in this communication studies class that this was basically a performance too. And it was in front of a camera. And I loved being the host of these segments. And I always knew that I had that in me. I loved the idea of being in front of a crowd and like eliciting a response from them. Yeah. And I think this communication study just kind of like fed the communication studies class kind of fed that, like kind of added fuel to that fire. So when it came time for me to pick a college major, and this is, I mean, it's so strange to be picking like, what do you want to do for the rest of your life when you're <laughs> 17 or 18 years old? Yeah. And I'm like, ah, communication studies, that sounded pretty fun. And I remember like filling out the application for college and being like, oh, communication studies, here we go. But it was because I had such an amazing time in high school in those classes that it's, I mean, it's really led to where I am now. Yeah. So a question I'd have for you is growing up, uh, did you always have the charismatic outgoing personality or is that something that as you maybe gain confidence fishing or as you, you know, surrounded yourself with people that maybe gave you confidence, uh, it started to come out more. I definitely don't think there's a lot of big personalities in bass fishing. Although, especially when I was growing up, now there's some bigger names. And I'll, I'll yeah. even if somebody here is listening and knows anything about bass fishing, I'll even drop some names here as little like Easter egg nuggets. 
Like there's guys like Mike Iaconelli who just have like a ton of charisma. So it's like yeah. that exists now. It certainly didn't exist when I was growing up. I'm a big believer, Phil, that any behavior can be learned and any skill mm. can be learned. And I don't think that I was overly charismatic as a kid. I was definitely very curious and asked a lot of questions. Yeah. But I've never wanted to be the person who's the center of attention. I mm -hmm. want to be the person who goes to a party and instead of being like, hey, everybody, I'm here. I want to be the person who's interested in the people that are there rather than trying to be interesting. Mm -hmm. So I would say that it's just been a combination of curiosity and yeah. also just a combination of like, I think what you put out into the world comes back to you. Mm. You know, if yes. you and I were to sit here and you, you're off so much charisma, it's just like oozing through the screen here. <laughs> but if you and I, Phil, were to sit here with a terrible posture and like speaking really quietly <laughs> and low, how exciting is this? You know, it's right. boring. So I think that if you can bring energy, other people can also match that energy back. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Well, we're not going to lack any energy today. I can tell you that much. There will not be a lack of energy today. No. So you talked about, hey, when you went to university, you end up deciding that communication would be my route. But before you get there, you had become so passionate about wrestling that you said, well, maybe I want to see if that could be a career for me. And so one, I want you to talk a little bit about that. And then two, I want to know how much familial support did we have about pursuing our dream of wrestling? <laughs> well, I'll start there. My parents hate <laughs> wrestling. <laughs> they think they've come around on it a little bit. And I don't blame them. You know, in the late yeah. 90s, this is the attitude era when Stone Cold Steve Austin is flipping off his boss and chugging bush lights, by the way. Class. <laughs> yes, he would celebrate by just chugging beer. It was <laughs> everything that a parent, you know, probably wouldn't want of their child. And it's right. not just Stone Cold Steve Austin, but it was yeah. also, I think he didn't like what, how the women were being portrayed at that time. And yeah. I think if you look back at it now, 20 years later, you go, I think they could have done a better job with that perhaps. Right. Um, so I remember there were times when I would be watching raw in the basement and my dad would like come down the stairs and like stand in front of the tv and be like you're not watching this and i'm like dad I, i'm missing the match what, <laughs> what's stone cold doing right now so my parents did not like it and i was basically doing this backyard wrestling league <laughs> behind their back which I, I mean it sounds awful to say it now but i wanted to do it so badly and i was so right. passionate about it and here i am a 17 18 year old kid thinking i'm capable of making my own decisions in hindsight, kind of realized that they were just looking out for my best interest. But I would say, yeah, I'm going to the gym. And then I would go to my friend Greg's house and we'd put on these matches and record them and put them online. And they were on all these different message boards. Like it was <laughs> definitely out there. Everybody knew about this except for my parents. And then I remember one day my mom went through my gym bag. Like, I don't think she was like going to wash my gym clothes. And she's yeah. like, why do you have knee pads and tape in your gym bag? <laughs> Have you, wait a second, have you been wrestling? And I'm like, yep, yep, oh. yeah, I have. So I had a pact with one of the guys that we did the wrestling with, my friend Greg. And I said, when we have the money and we have a car, we're going to go to wrestling school. We're going to do this for real. Yeah. What we're doing in the backyard. We're just guessing that we know how to do this. And, you know, there were some injuries when we did it. Yeah. So we made a pact that, we were going to go to pro wrestling school. I ended up keeping up my end of that bargain and went to wrestling school. I trained in Toronto for a few months while I was still in college. And I was kind of at this crossroads because 
I was training as a pro wrestler in the summer before going back to school. Yeah. It was like a half hour drive away from where I was living at the time. Went back to school that fall. It was now over an hour to get there. And yeah, you don't have a lot of money when you're in school. All right. $250 a month, which is a ton of money for any yeah. student, really anybody. So I had to make a decision. Did I want to go all in on school or did I want to go all in on wrestling school? And I didn't want to like half-ass either of them. And I decided that I, it was important to get my arts degree. It was important yeah. to get my Bachelor of Arts in Communication Studies. And wrestling would always be there. And now I'm really fortunate, Phil, to have a job in broadcasting. And then, you know, every once in a while, dip my toe into that passion of wrestling. Absolutely. So as you segue into university, um, you've, you've selected communications as, as our major. Something I want to highlight that you did that I would say is abnormal, but it's a critical part of my story as well is as a young person, you said, well, if I'm going to want to do this, I should probably get some real life experience and not just learn from a book. And you were willing to cold call to a lot of people, but then to do it for free. So yeah. talk about that. I had an epiphany in my fourth year, my senior year of college. And I yeah. loved college. I lived with four of my best friends. We just had a great time all the time. And it hit me that when we graduated at the end of that year, they were going to have to work for, you know, the rest of our lives. <laughs> and no Forever. one prepares you for that. Yes. <laughs> no one prepares you for that when you're right. in college. You're yeah. learning lots and you're taking lots of tests and writing lots of essays, but no one prepares you for the Monday to Friday grind of the rat race that yeah. is inevitable after you graduate. And I remember having this moment where I went, okay, if I'm gonna have to work for the rest of my life, I wanna at least not hate what I do. That was the bare minimum, yeah. I just wanna not hate it because we all know so many people uh, who can't yes. even appreciate Sunday because Monday is the next day. Yep. And I never wanted to be that person. Mm. So. I thought, well, what do I have? All I have is my time. That's the only thing I can exchange. That is my value proposition. I will give you time. Can you give me experience? Yes. And I reached out to every radio station and every TV station in my college town and just said, I'm a fourth year communication studies major, super passionate about this. Can I volunteer and just come in and see how it's done in the real world? Mm. Yes. And one radio station got back to me and said, you're welcome to be on our street team. You, we can, we hand out stickers, stickers at different events. And I went, yes, sign me up. Amazing. And it was cool. I got to see how it was done in the real world, watching them do like the live radio remotes when we were yeah. on location. This other TV station was basically run by volunteers. Volunteers in the community, some of them were high school students. Some of them were fellow communication studies majors like myself. And I went in and they said, let us know what days you're available and you're Welcome to come in on whichever ones you want. Incredible. Yeah. So I want to highlight that though, because yeah. I think too frequently people say, well, I really want this, but they're only willing to do it if there's immediate gain today. Now you yeah. got a knowledge gain, right? By being able to do it, but it wasn't as if there was this huge you know, financial benefit to you. It wasn't as if there was this promised future job to you. It was just, no, I want to get this real life experience. And I'm hoping uh, that by getting that, it's going to help me at some future date. And I knew it was going to pay off. And also, how cool was it that I'm a 21-year-old college student, and while my friends are going to work wherever their jobs were, at the mall or some fast food restaurant, I'm like, well, I'm not getting paid, but I'm going to go hang out at a TV station for the next four hours. So, you know, see you later. 
Yeah. I, I loved being able to see how everything was put together. I loved mm. seeing the behind the scenes stuff. And another radio station, it was a news talk radio station in town. They said, well, we don't take on volunteers, but how would we'll you like a you. job? Yeah, we'll pay you. And I'm like, what? Sure. <laughs> yeah, they said, well, it only pays $8 now. I'm like, that's $8 more than I thought it was going to make. <laughs> and I was working as a board operator. So that's the person that's in front of the soundboard, potting up the different mics and the different sounds. And you're kind of the brains of the operation. You're the one who, you know, if things aren't sounding good, it's on you. And it was kind of me learning every day as I went. I love it. So as you're gaining all of this knowledge experience, you start realizing that, yes, this is what I want to do. I'm, you know, as passionate about it as what I had thought I would be passionate about this. And your first job you get is in Petersboro, Ontario. And you get to be kind of, I mean, reporter, I don't know, I'm sure there's more than just that to it, but talk a little bit about that first job after school and uh, just getting into it. I didn't actually think that job was going to happen. So okay. after getting the experience that I got while I was still in college, I knew yeah. I needed an internship. So, and like, I, I didn't think at all that I was just going to graduate and go, well, sign me up. I'm going to be on TV now. Like I yeah. knew that wasn't going to happen. I knew I needed an internship to at least like get my foot in the door. Got and the it. door was not really ajar. There was maybe like a tiny little like sliver of like light that was coming through. And I like had to jam my foot in there and like work it in to try to get my foot in the door. So yeah, as my last few months were coming before graduation, I reached out to a bunch of TV stations and filled out all these applications to be an intern and nobody got back to me. Mm. And I was like, well, what am I going to do? Like, without an internship, I'm probably not going to get a job. Yeah. And I found the general manager's email for this small station in Peterborough, Ontario, about an hour from where I live. So 100 kilometers, 60 miles, so not close. Yeah. And I sent him a message and said, I'm going to be in Peterborough next week for spring break. Could I come in and talk to you about the possibility of an internship? And he wrote back and said, well, you know, we don't really do that, but if you're going to be in town, come on by. Love it. I wasn't going to be in town. This was a total lie. Of course I wasn't going to be in town. I hadn't been to this town in like 10 years. <laughs> I drove up there and yeah. he looked at my resume and said, oh, look at this, you know, volunteer on the street team. You work, you're a board operator of this radio station. You know, like I said, we don't normally do this, but well, willing to try, try it out. Willing to give wow. you a chance. And my internship I thought was just going to be me following around the reporters, watching them do their thing, yeah. which it was for the first two weeks. And then two weeks into it, the assignment planner hands me an assignment and goes, here's your story for the day. I said, oh, cool. Like, who am I? Who am I following today? He goes, well, you're going to go out with Terry, but this is your story. You're going to be on the six o'clock news tonight as an intern. I love it. And, and they don't give you much heads up that day. Huh? Right. My internship from that point on was basically a free reporter for them. Like they sent me out and I would shoot and write and edit and report all my own stories. And eventually, and, and by the way, the little caveat here is I was still working my high school job at the mall in the fish department of a pet store so I could pay for the gas to get to my internship. <laughs> I love everything about that story. One, just getting the opportunity, even though you weren't necessarily like mentally prepped for it, they say, hey, today's the day we're throwing you into the fire. But two, yeah. that you were willing to drive that hour because how many people say, gosh, you know, that's just so far. Like, you know, I'll just keep working this high school job so someday I can move. And you're like, no, I'll just 
figure out a way to continue to get there now. If I had been given an internship in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, I would have figured out a way to get there. And I think that there's too many people that make excuses in their yeah. life. Like when I go back and say, I reached out to every radio station and every TV station in my college town, that was every single station. And I didn't hear back from a lot of them. And I think yeah. there's a lot of people that would send one email and go, well, I guess they're not interested. This isn't for me. And mm. I just kind of kept peppering away. And again, leading with value every single time, yep. instead of saying, here's what I'm going to get out of it. I would yep. always approach it and going, here's what's in it for you. And I think that that's such an important way to approach it. Yes. Too many people selfishly go into it and go, all right, here's what I want. Well, of course, of course, that's what you want, but what's in it for them? I love that. Hey, you need to rewind that 60 seconds and listen to that again. That is, that is phenomenal. Yes. Start with others in mind, right? And you'll gain something from it. Yeah, absolutely. So I was so incredibly fortunate that that internship ended up turning into a job. Like I, I went up to that same general manager who took a chance on me two and a half months into my internship. And I basically, I, I sat down at his desk and he goes, oh, actually I've been meaning to talk to you. And I was going in there to basically say like, I can't do this internship anymore. It's, it's too much to drive like back and <laughs> forth. And he goes, uh, before I could get those words out of my mouth, he goes, you've been doing such a great job on air. We don't have a job, but I created one for you. Wow. So, you're not an intern after this week, you're going to be on air. You're going to be a full-time reporter. And it was like, oh my gosh, like I was coming in here to quit. <laughs> wow. What a he's, moment, man. What a moment. And he's like, well, good, quit. You, you aren't an intern anymore. <laughs> you're an employee. <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. So you go along, you're doing this, you're now full-time, and then you get an opportunity to do an MTV2 show. Yeah. Although, Talk about how that kind of say I definitely had to like create that opportunity. So there was yeah. a job posting for a show called 969, which is basically like the Canadian version of TRL. So, TRL, by the way, if you're too young to know what that is, Google it. It's, it's, it's classic. Right. So good. So it was Carson music Daily. videos. We reviewed video games. We interviewed a lot of musicians and celebrities. And I'd been at this TV station in Peterborough for about a year and a half. So yeah. I was definitely building up my resume, getting more comfortable on camera. And I had gone to an open casting call for Much Music, which is kind of the Canadian version of MTV. Okay. And I went to this open casting call and there were hundreds of people there. Yeah. And as I walked in the door, this giant security guy grabs me and goes, you come with me. And I'm like, oh my God, what did I do? <laughs> and he's like, you, you didn't do anything wrong. We just, we want to see the people that we're interested in first before we get to everybody else. And I went, mm. oh my gosh. I'm clearly what they're looking for. And that gave me this massive boost of confidence. Yeah. I didn't end up getting that job. But then a few months later, there was this posting for MTV2, which is their sister station. And I went, oh my God. Okay, if I went to that open casting call and they were interested in me, there's no reason that this other one wouldn't be interested in me too. Absolutely. Sent my stuff in, didn't hear anything back. And I went, <sighs> oh my gosh, like, are you serious? I, I tick every box here. I have the experience. Yeah. I, I clearly, I, I was what they were looking for. Didn't hear anything back. But I knew the name of the person who was doing the hiring because it was on the job posting. So I woke up one day, randomly called the TV station and I asked for her by name. And the person at the front desk went, one moment please, and connected me to her. <laughs> so I left a voicemail yeah. and then she emailed me back and said, oh, we're still looking at applicants. Like, you know, we'll be in touch. And I thought, hmm, will they really be in touch? 
in the signature of her email was her direct desk line. And I went, oh, I will be calling you soon. I waited a few days and I called her directly at her desk. She picked up after like one ring. And I used the same thing that I did with the Peterborough internship. I said, yeah. I'm going to be, the show was hosted in Vancouver. I said, I'm going to be in Vancouver next Thursday. I'd love to just come in and talk to you about the job. Again, total lie. Like it's a five hour flight away. I wasn't just going to randomly <laughs> be in the neighborhood. And she goes, well, if you're going to be here, yeah, come on in. It'd be great to talk to you about this. And long story short, I went in and five minutes into that meeting, they were already talking about salary and like asking me if I wanted to move out there. And I it was all it. because like I created these opportunities that really didn't exist. And yeah. that was my first foray into entertainment reporting. Like my second day of work, I spent the day following Chingy, the rapper. Around. Oh yeah. Right, right there, right there. Right there. That song? <laughs> oh yeah. So I went from like doing these small town news stories, which is where I really like built my resume and like yeah. cut my teeth on all of these stories to immediately I'm interviewing celebrities and like reviewing video games. And I'm like, this is exactly where I want to be. I love it. So one thing that I want to kind of rewind and talk a little bit about though, is how, when you received, Hey, nope, this isn't the opportunity. And then you think, Hey, I'm going to get this. And once again, no one likes rejection, right? And, and you can package it, how you call it whatever you like, but it, in some way, right, I'm getting turned down. Yeah, sure. And no one likes that. But for you being a young age, it's like, all right, I was having this confidence, I was feeling good, but then I get this setback. Uh, how did you overcome that mental barrier of like, all right, I just got to get on to the next interview. I got to look at MTV too, if that's an option. All you can do is just keep looking forward. Like, there's no yeah. point in looking back because this, that's not where you're heading. Yep. So even though I didn't get that job after that open casting call, I saw this as a huge win. Like I saw I this as it. a massive win that they picked me and a few other people out of the crowd. And I was like, well, I've already won, even if I don't get this job. Although I will say I got the senior producers like business card. He's, I remember him specifically giving me his business card. He goes, I'm only giving these to people who get a call back. Email me next week. We'll set up a time to bring you back in for another audition. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to keep emailing this guy. And I would, I would email him like every month and just be like, Hey, still around. Yeah. If you need anything. If you need me to come by. I'm, I'm still here. So I saw it as a win. And then I just kind of built on it from there. But I will say there was a huge setback with the MTV two job. Cause I was there for about a year and there was a change in ownership. One big mm -hmm. media company bought out another big media company. Yeah. And our show ended up getting canceled. Like with no like notice at all. We were literally yeah. sitting at our desks working on the show and our boss came in and said, everyone stop what you're doing. Our show has been canceled. And I was like, what do you mean? What? Right. Here right. I am 3000 miles from home with no job now. So that was, it was a big setback. And I had like, I think my lease was going to expire like in a few days. And I had oh, to decide no. like, do I renew my lease for another year? Stay in Vancouver, look for another job. Or do I let my lease run out? pack up my car, drive the 47 hours home to live with my parents again and try to figure it out. And that's what I did. And of course it was a huge setback. I was basically, I basically had my dream job and mm. it was taken away because of circumstances outside of my control. Yeah. But I took it as a chance to regroup and I was unemployed for seven months. Yeah. I was unemployed for seven months and I made it my job during those seven months to find a job every yep. day 
woke up, scoured the job sites, sent my stuff as much as I could to as many people as I could, was cold calling. And seven months later, I ended up hosting a show in Toronto, which was very similar to what I was doing in Vancouver. But those seven months were a little bit scary. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing I would highlight from that story there, Chris, is just your understanding that, hey, even though the ultimate goal of getting hired didn't happen, there was still a lot of confidence that could be taken from that experience. I think that's so important because sometimes we don't end up getting to the peak of our goal or what the exact goal was. But if we can realize that we're closer today than we had been, uh, you know, that that's a big confidence boost for us. Well, I also think that that was a little goal on the way to a much larger goal. Mm. And I think that it's so important to break a big goal down into little steps and then celebrate those wins along the way as you yep. get there. Yeah. I live in Los Angeles now. And yeah. unfortunately, I think there's a lot of people whose goal is to move to Los Angeles. Well, you pack up your car or you put yourself <laughs> in a suitcase, you jump on a plane, you move out here. And it's like, well, congrats. Yeah. <laughs> You've done it. You live in LA now. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of people who then lose their drive because they're like, oh, well, I'm, oh, I did it. I'm here. Right. Now what? Yep. And I think it's so important to keep going, keep looking forward. Like what's yeah. next? What's next? Just always stay hungry. That's awesome. Well, you did stay hungry. And so although you have this job in Canada, uh, you get an opportunity to join CBS in Cleveland, Ohio. And I, I got that job mostly because of those seven months of unemployment. I kept okay. applying for jobs in Canada. Yeah. It'd be between me and one other person or me and two other people on a short list. And for whatever reason, someone else would get the job. You know, they were more talented or they were just a better fit for the job, whatever it happened to be. And I was starting to get frustrated. I'm like, if I can't find a job in my own country, I'm gonna look for an agent in the mm. US and hopefully broaden my horizons broaden my horizons and maybe get an opportunity there. Yeah. So got an agent based in LA and ended up leading to me being the entertainment reporter for the CBS station in Cleveland. And that job was unbelievable. Like I was a weekend and I was reporting from the Oscars. I got to travel the world there. I was reporting from London and Paris and Moscow. Wow. And yeah. All around the world, interviewing some of the biggest stars in the world. And I think that there's a lot of people who might not have taken that chance of going, yep. I'm going to look outside of what I have here. I, I yeah. mean, to be honest, when I got my agent in the US, I didn't have the legal ability to work in the US. I didn't have a green card or a visa. I just yeah. knew it. Yeah. If that happens, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. I'll figure it out. <laughs> yes. Uh, I love that. Uh, I forget who says it, but it's everything's figure outable, right? Like, yes, you that's know, Forleo, isn't it? It could be, I don't know, but it's just one of those things, right? Like, hey, you know, I've got a strategy and whatnot, but like, I'll just figure it out. And I think there's a lot of power in that. Yeah. And if somebody else has done it, that just means that you can do it too. You just got to figure out how to do it. <laughs> I love it. Well, while you're in Cleveland, I want to highlight this. So everybody, if you're listening, the guy's got a voice for radio. Uh, if you're watching, he's got a face for movies. So he's, you know, <laughs> he's got the both sides of this, but he gets nominated as the most eligible bachelor. Uh, and you end up winning bachelor of the year. Like that, that's a pretty big deal, man. Yeah. It's, it's so crazy. That was 10 years ago now. And it's like, <laughs> some parts of it still feel like, like so fresh and so yeah. new. So this is cosmopolitan magazine. And at the time, every single year they were doing the bachelor of the year and it yeah. was one representative from each state. And then the readers would vote on who would be the bachelor of the year. 
and it was a $10,000 prize. And wow. from day one, I was, I said, if I win this thing, well, first of all, I was nominated. I was the Ohio representative, uh, someone at work nominated me and I had yeah. no idea. I was like, uh, okay, sure. Yeah. I said that if I won and I knew it was a long shot, I said, if I won, I was going to donate the $10,000 to the boys and girls club, which was an organization we worked a ton with, with the TV station that I was at in Cleveland. Yeah. And fast forward a few months and I did win and I got the giant novelty check and literally signed it over to the boys and girls club and gave them a giant novelty check. I love it. That's so cool. And I mean, you know, once again, uh, on the scale of everything you've accomplished, I'm, I'm sure it's not at the very pinnacle, but what a cool thing to, you know, have the experience and to get to go through. Yeah, it was a really cool thing. And then like, I had no, I did not think I was going to win at all. They flew us all to New York to do like a bunch of interviews and like have the big party, like revealing the winner. Yeah. And I remember waiting in the lobby of like the Cosmopolitan building and like all these guys looked like they were like quarterbacks. Like they're all gigantic and ripped and super handsome. I'm like, Hey guys, what's going on here? <laughs> like, I know I was like, every other guy here is going to win. Not me. And they did call my name. I was super surprised, but I was also just more happy that yeah. I was able to provide a, a substantial donation to the boys and girls club. Yes. No, that's so cool. Once again, had to highlight it, had to highlight. Uh, <laughs> but so from there, uh, eventually you make your way uh, to Miami. And once again, rewinding to talk about why I brought up fishing at the beginning of this, uh, you end up creating a fishing company and it's called Wu Tungsten. Yeah, well, the, I like to say Woo Tungsten. <laughs> W-O-O exclamation mark. I needed woo! more O's in that. When I read it, I didn't get the woo. But that's kind of like a Rick Wally. Flair. We'll have to like Ric Flair that. A little partly Ric Flair, but also when you catch a giant fish, you're jacked up. What do you yell? Woo! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little bit of both. Yeah. So I, I ended up leaving the job in Cleveland after five years and getting a job in Miami, hosting a show called Deco Drive. And it's an entertainment show that's live 7.30 PM on the Fox station in Miami. The show has been around for 25 years. This is a legendary show with, yeah. with just so many viewers there. And it was all the opportunities that I had in Cleveland, like turned up to 10. I was traveling even more. I was interviewing even bigger stars yeah. and fishing as we talked about at the start of this conversation has always been a really big part of my life. And my tournament fishing partner and one of my best friends, Aaron came down to fish with me in Florida. And there's some incredible bass fishing in Florida. And through a series of events, we just kind of realized that there was an opportunity in the market that yeah. wasn't being capitalized on by anybody. And he jokingly said like, should we start a company? And I kind of jokingly went, yeah, sure. And we honestly thought we were going to be selling like a few items a week, like on eBay or something. Yeah. We bought what we thought would be like three months of inventory and we sold it in a week. Wow. And we went, oh, I think we're onto something here. Yeah. So it's been five years now and the company just continues to grow. And it's exciting to be able to mesh my passion of wrestling or well, kind of wrestling, yeah. Yeah. but my, my passion for bass fishing and my passion for business and put them together and make them one thing. Absolutely. Well, and you guys just got some pretty good uh, publicity for the Inc. ranking, right? Yeah, Inc. Magazine. We were on their Inc. 500 list, which is the fastest growing companies in America. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, the pandemic was very kind to us because yeah. there weren't a lot of things you could do. Right. 
what you could fish. Yeah. You know, in, in most parts of the country, there still were some parts of the country last year where you couldn't, but right. for the most part, there was one of the few opportunities that you, or activities you could go out and actually do. So yeah, yeah. our company just keeps getting bigger and bigger. I love that. That's great. Well, in 2019, uh, you decide, you know what, I'm going to start this thing called the podcast. And I'm going to try and tie this into my my love for wrestling. And your first guest or the first released episode, I don't know if it's the first guest, it happens to be John Cena. Yeah. Which, you know, some of you today might say the actor. And once again, <laughs> he was a wrestler, you know, so yes, he does act though. Yeah, I just... I always had the YouTube channel. I've had that now for about 10 years. And I was actually pretty hesitant to start a podcast because I was like, well, I don't want to take away from the YouTube viewers. Yeah. And I realized they're kind of two separate things. You're not going to put an hour-long YouTube video on while you're working out or going to walking the dog or driving to work or whatever. And I just started taking the audio from my YouTube interviews, which were 45 minutes or an hour long, and then putting them on my podcast. And that's kind of where my podcast started. And it very quickly evolved, kind of selfishly, if I'm being honest, as me going, I want to learn. I want to learn from people who are the best. Yeah. And it's great talking to some of my favorite wrestlers, but I want to learn from people who are at the top of their game, whether they're an actor or an athlete or an entrepreneur or whatever, an expert in whatever their field is. Yeah. And my podcast has kind of evolved into, and it's called Insight, but it's me kind of stealing the insight from these people. And then we can all apply it to our own life. Yes, that's so cool. Now, something that stuck out to me was you were talking about your experience of getting to know The Rock. Once again, I think you said nine times, not that anyone was counting, but <laughs> roughly nine times uh, that you had met him. And, you know, you said that the two of you had been having some dialogue about, you know, hey, his ultimate goal was to go to the NFL. But had that happened, may not have ever gotten into acting, right? May not have ever had the chance to be on a show ballers, may have never, you know, been in all these different movies. Um, and so you said, similarly for you, well, had I gotten what I wanted, right, what I thought I wanted, I would have been a wrestler at 17 years old. And yeah. all these other things may not have ever happened. So talk a little bit about the power of we think we know what we want, but sometimes by missing out on what we think we want, there's more in store for us somewhere else. The quote The Rock said to me is sometimes the best things in life are the things that never happen. And mm. look at how successful The Rock is. One of the biggest movie stars in the world. One of the biggest <laughs> yeah. celebrities in the world. No doubt. But if you look at his path, he's a failure. He wanted yeah. to be an NFL player and got cut from the CFL. Yeah. So, I mean, when you break it, then and there's a lot of people and no disrespect to them, but that might be the end of their story. Yes. The rock just kind of took that and pivoted and went, all right, well, what am I going to do with my life now? And became the person that we now love and respect. And it's just so interesting that sometimes we think we should be on a certain path in our life. And then life throws us a curveball, and you've got two choices. Do you sit back in that curveball and, you know, hit it to the opposite field? baseball reference there because I grew up yeah. playing a lot of baseball too or do you just kind of like let it go by you and maybe you strike out and I think it's so important to take what life hands you and figure out a way you know like it's it's that whole old adage that everybody talks about it's like when life gives you lemons make lemonade yep that's good well additionally um so Winning an Emmy, I mean, has to be cool. So talk a little bit about just like that first time that you're, you're up for that opportunity and you actually win it. 
when I first moved to Cleveland, I didn't even know it was an option that you could okay. win Emmys like for what you were doing on a local level. Yeah. And then when I did find out that it was a possibility, I was like, okay, <laughs> laser focused on this. I want to win one of these things. And I want to yeah. be able to uh, one day have a story that is appreciated. And, and, and I don't know, you, the chance to win one of those is unbelievable. So when I found out that it was even an option, I started looking for a story that I thought would speak to an audience that might be able to appreciate it. Mm. And I love pro wrestling as we've covered a whole bunch in this interview. And there's a wrestler by the name of Gregory Iron who lives in Cleveland. And he's the only wrestler in the world who wrestles despite being born with cerebral palsy. Wow. And it's an incredibly inspiring story. And he's an incredibly inspiring person. Yeah. And I knew him through like some mutual friends and I reached out and basically said, I'd love to tell your story. And he said, let's do it. And yeah. I was able to spend a bunch of time with him and his family and at some of his wrestling shows. And I put together a story I was really proud of and it ended up getting nominated and ended up winning. And it was so cool to be able to mesh those two passions together, broadcasting and wrestling yeah. and be able to win one of those statues. And also I was on a visa when I moved to the US and I knew that winning an Emmy would really improve my chances. Yeah. <laughs> a green card <laughs> so i remember like holding the emmy for the first time being like yes i might be able to get a green card now don't look me up don't look me up too hard like you might find out i can't be here no oh <laughs> that's awesome that is awesome well chris i appreciate your time man and sharing just all these pivotal moments i mean it's so cool to see you know who knew in the moment as a four-year-old you'd get the opportunity to go fish you'd fall in love with it it'd be a passion of yours and you'd someday start a business who knew your buddy that was a wrestling fan would convince you to stay on the phone with him and you'd get a passion for that. And it would end up tying in so much today. So, um, you know, for, for all the listeners, once again, as you listen, there's no doubt that you found a lot of good nuggets and takeaways. But the second thing that I would just highlight is the, the constant talk of just your hard work and how passionate you are about the things you dive into. Right. I think a lot of times, the people that become the most successful in their space at their craft are the people that are willing to just, you know, do whatever it takes and, uh, you know, really go for it. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you for the great questions and the amazing amount of research that you've done. <laughs> I feel like you know my story better than me. So <laughs> now, Phil, thank you so much for having me on. And I think you're right. You keyed in on it. It's so important to have passions in life. Like go towards the things that juice you. Go towards the things that make you excited. As I think a lot of people have trouble even finding what their passions are. Find what those passions are and then chase after them. Absolutely. Well, we're going to make a note two, three years from now, we're going to follow back up, do this again, because at the end of the day, I know we're going to have a lot of new stories that we'll have to go over over the next two or three years. So thanks. Let's again, do Chris. it. I'm in. My man. Appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you. I love in Chris's story how he talks about one, his uh, impact with The Rock and how The Rock made the comment, sometimes the best things that ever happen in your life are the things that never happened. And two, I love how multiple times he said, I'm gonna be in the area even when he wasn't because he was willing to make it happen. Thanks so much for tuning in.